So it's great to be back here at Greenbelt Online and Greenbelt in person for our watch party. Uh, I've been off for a few weeks getting uh, just a great time of rest with my family and uh, visiting family. And uh, I'm really excited um, for the fall launch. I'm really excited about all that God has been doing this past year and a half within our church family. And I'm even more excited about what we think God is going to do moving forward. Today we're continuing our sermon series that we've been doing for the summer called Healthy Habits. And my hope and my desire with this sermon series is um, that you would just take a look at your faith journey. Take a look at how are you doing in your relationship with God? Do you have healthy habits in place when it comes to your walk with God? Do you have healthy habits in place when it comes to your walk with other Christians in your life? Because it's really in the moments of crisis. It's really in the moments of disaster where we find out how strong our faith really is. And the best way to prepare for those times of crisis is to work on our faith when life is fine, when everything is going nice and smoothly. Because sadly, in my own life, just like I'm sure it's like in your life, it's in those moments when everything is great where we may not put as much attention into healthy habits to help us grow spiritually. So we're going to continue this series today, and I'm very grateful for everyone who preached for me during my time off, so thank you so much for that, and I hope you were blessed uh, by the word that they each brought for the last few weeks. So I want to start off today, and I want you to get a picture in your mind. Now, this could be somebody you know personally, or someone that you know of, whether it's a famous person or things like that. But I want you to get a picture in your mind of somebody who is incredibly driven. And when I say incredibly driven, I mean they are driven at reaching a particular goal in life. Maybe you're thinking of someone in business Maybe you're thinking of someone in uh, the sports world. Maybe you're thinking of someone in their education. But this man or this woman, this person that you have pictured in your mind, are just so driven on one goal, one objective to make it happen. I was actually thinking about that myself over the last little while while I was on vacation, watching some of the Olympic events that were happening. Now, I've never really been much of a, sport, a sports guy. I'm not really much of uh, an Olympics guy. But I'm very captivated by the stories of these Olympic athletes who dedicate so much of their lives to one particular goal and objective, to win a gold medal. They get up at the crack of dawn. They exercise multiple hours a day. They eat only particular food. They train. They study. They do all of this work for one goal and one goal only, to be the best, to win that gold medal. 
in the Olympics. And those stories captivate me. They, I, I'm just blown away by that level of, th- that level of drive in their lives. And I think, honestly, the reason why that captivates me so much is, do you realize that as followers of Jesus, you and I are called to the same level of drive as an Olympic athlete when it comes to our faith? Do you realize that? I think so often we just treat our faith like an afterthought, like it's just... It's something that I'll commit some time to if there's time to do so after everything else I have to do in this world. But the teachings of the Apostle Paul is the exact opposite of that Western Christian mindset where faith is an add-on to my life. See, Paul didn't see it like that. He saw our faith in Jesus as life, as the most crucial thing of our lives, and then everything else in life tacks on and adds on to that. You and I are called as followers of Jesus Jesus, to be just as driven in pursuing our faith as an Olympic athlete is in pursuing a gold medal. I mean, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 25 to 27. He says these words, All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. That gold medal fades away when it comes to eternity. And he continues, and he says, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that preaching to others, uh, sorry, otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Paul calls the church to be just as driven, just as disciplined as an Olympic athlete when it comes to our faith. Now, how many of you honestly, show of hands, that's your level of commitment when it comes to your faith, that you put in just as much energy, just as much <laughs> drive as an Olympic athlete. I mean, I can't raise my hand up that way, but I want to. And that's what I want us to talk about today. Today, what I want to do, I want to talk about what it, does it mean to be driven In pursuing God? What does it mean to be driven in putting the things of God first? I mean, Jesus himself said, seek first God's kingdom, and then everything else will be given to you. Right? We're supposed to put faith first, the kingdom of God first, the will of God first, and then the rest of our lives will follow. How do we make that shift? Well, there's two words that I want to play off of today that help us to define what it means to be driven. I want to talk about uh, the need that you and I have to be consistent and persistent. To be consistent and persistent when it comes to our faith in Jesus. And so the big idea that we're going to explore together today is this. Is a faith that is persistent and consistent has power. A faith that is persistent and consistent has power. 
compared to the opposite faith where there is no consistency. There is no persistence in it. That faith doesn't have power. But a faith that is persistent and consistent has power. So let's look at that together today. But let's just make sure that we understand clearly what these two words mean and what we're going to do after that. We're going to look at a couple of passages from the New Testament on how we can see that a faith that's consistent and persistent brings power into our lives. It's a great, healthy habit to develop. And then we're going to look at one example from the Old Testament on how that could look in your life and in my life and in our church family's life as well. So just in way of definition, just to make sure that we're all speaking about the same thing, what does it mean to be consistent? Well, the word consistent means acting or done in the same way over time, especially as to be fair or accurate. Right? A faith that is consistent, it's done in the same way over time, especially in the area to be fair and accurate. Right? It's one thing to be consistent in an area that's inaccurate. When it comes to our faith, there won't be a lot of power in that. So we want to make sure that we're consistent, this done the same way over time in a way that's accurate. And then the word persistent means to continually, firmly, uh, to, to continue firmly in a course of action in spite of difficulty or opposition is that you need to continue firmly in the course of action regardless of the difficulty of it or the opposition of it. So already can you see how these two words, to be consistent and persistent, leads to a faith that has power in it. Right, So let's do that. Let's look at these two words and let's look at how having a faith that's consistent and persistent leads to a faith that has power. And isn't that the goal for every follower of Jesus? We don't want a lukewarm faith. We don't want a faith that barely gets us out of bed in the morning. We want a faith that changes our lives. We want a faith that has impact in the lives of people around us. We want a faith that draws other people to come to know who Jesus is, right? So let's talk about this again today. So again, and this is why it's so crucial. Again, I'm just going to read one more verse before we look at these specific words, because so often, again, you can hear me say that it should be faith first, everything else second, but because the whole world, it seems to be so radically against that kind of message, you can sit there and say, well, that's just Pastor Kevin trying to manipulate me to do more things at the church. <laughs> that's not my goal and not my objective in any way whatsoever. Paul talks about this again and again and again. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 with training like an athlete. We see it again in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where Paul says this in verse 58. He says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. My dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. 
I love the language of this verse here, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight: To stand firm. Let nothing move you. Give yourself fully. Does that sound like language that's, eh, I'll explore spiritual things if there's time? Does that sound like language, eh, I don't really feel like worshiping. I don't really feel like reading my Bible. I don't really feel like praying. I don't really feel like serving. I don't really feel like giving. I don't really feel like insert spiritual discipline here. (laughs) It doesn't sound like that at all. But when that's our posture to faith, is it any wonder why we're never experiencing the power of God in our lives? Is it any wonder that we're not getting and seeing any victory over sin in our own lives? Is it any wonder why we're not seeing people transformed by our faith? When we have a faith that simply, (laughs) Paul calls us to so much more. Right, Jesus. Uh, Paul reminds us in this short verse that um, we need to give ourselves fully to the gospel, to the good news that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that nobody comes to the Father except through him. Now, I realize that's a very unpopular message in our culture today. I realize that that could bring about a lot of difficulty and opposition to stand firm in that position. But that's what Paul calls the church to, to never waver on who Jesus is, to never waver on that it's Jesus who saves us from our sin, to never waver that Jesus is fully God and fully man, that Jesus came and lived a sinless life because humanity is far from God, trapped and lost and dead in our sin. And that sin must be dealt with. There's a penalty for sin. And the Bible teaches that that penalty is death. So someone, something has to die to pay for that sin. And thanks be to God, it's not us. We don't need to die for our sin. That God himself chose to die for our sin. That's why Jesus went to the cross. That is the primary purpose. That is the, what, what Paul calls of first importance in the life of a Christian, in the life of a church. Sadly, there's way too many things in our culture today that are dividing the attention of the church. There's way too many things dividing us. Music style, doctrine, methodology, ideologies, all of these things that have nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ can so easily distract us. So we need to stand firm. Let nothing move you. Give yourself fully to the gospel. Right? And then he also talks about the work of the Lord. Right, This work of the Lord, this is what the work of the Lord is. It's a commitment to the gospel, and it's also a commitment to learning and applying the teachings of Jesus, to obey Jesus. Jesus told his followers that, you know, if you love me, you'll obey me. If you love me, you'll obey me. And so obedience to Jesus isn't out of a religious tradition where you better do what Jesus told you or Jesus is going to hate you or Jesus is going to send you to hell. It doesn't work that way. 
You're saved from your sins because of the love of Jesus and the fact that he went to the cross and died for you. And it's out of that love, out of his sacrificial death, that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, the third part of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Suddenly we have power within us to begin to live a life of transformation and obedience. And we don't obey to please God. It's out of our love and gratitude for God that we let the Spirit of God transform us. And that's why we talk about healthy habits of spiritual disciplines to help us grow in this, right? Obeying Jesus is an important part of our faith. When Jesus says a new commandment, I gave you love one another. And you're criticizing other Christians and you're criticizing other pastors and you're criticizing other churches. You're disobedient to Jesus. <laughs> when Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with your entire being. And we make faith a secondary thing. We're being disobedient to the teachings of Jesus. When Jesus says the greatest commandment is also to love your neighbor as yourself. That's not a commandment to only love people who think and act and look exactly like we do. But it's to love people who live radically different lifestyles than you and I live. That we're called to love them. And if we're not loving the way Jesus calls us to love, we're disobedient. See, that's what Paul means by the work of the Lord. It's that commitment to the gospel and that commitment to the teachings of Jesus. That takes huge <laughs> consistency and persistence to make that happen. So how can we do that? Let's look at a couple of texts together today. What does it look like to be consistent in the work of the Lord? What does it look like to be persistent in the work of the Lord? So let's look at consistent, right? The first thing, if you want a faith that is consistent, a faith that is consistent does not get distracted on what the Christian life is all about. Let me say that again. And you might want to write this down to discuss this with your family or discuss this with someone that you're walking with and doing the Christian journey with. Right? A faith that is consistent is one that does not get distracted on what the Christian life is all about. Sadly, I think it is really easy to get distracted from what the Christian life is supposed to be about. If there's one thing the last 16 and 17 months has taught me during this pandemic is we in our human nature are very easily distracted. We are so distracted by things that are important, and I'm not saying they're not important, by things that need to be looked at and evaluated and studied. But if we give these distractions a higher importance than the work of the Lord, we're not living a faith that's consistent. Look at what Paul writes to the church in the city of Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14. Paul talks about this. He says, this is a definition A faith that's consistent is a sign of spiritual maturity in the life of a Christian. But Paul says this, he says, then, you know, 
if you're not dealing with a life that's inconsistent, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. You see, a faith that is consistent has power. Right? Paul warns the church in this verse that you will lose power when you are constantly being blown back and forth by different teaching. When you are constantly losing godly influence in your life because you're giving in to worldly debate or worldly priorities. Right? Paul even flat out calls it the craftiness of people and deceitful scheming. Sometimes things that look spiritually good are actually not good for us. And, and that's the way deceit works, right? If something was spiritually not good for us, well, it wouldn't clearly look not good. Like no one's going to tell you, hey, here's a glass full of crushed glass. Please drink this. <laughs> no one would do that. It's clearly bad for you. Right? But mm, the Kool-Aid and it's nice and cold and it's ice and it's sparkly and there's a little umbrella in it. Drink that. That's why we say the expression, they drank the Kool-Aid because it looks good. It tastes good until you realize it isn't. Now, this verse isn't telling us that we shouldn't be wrestling with our faith. Right, This verse isn't telling us that we shouldn't challenge our thinking and maybe grow and develop in our thinking. This verse is a warning that if we're constantly going back and forth, oh, I believe this, oh, now I believe this, oh, now I believe this, oh, now I follow this, oh, now I'm into this, and now I'm into that. If that's been the constant experience of your Christian faith for decades... There's a lack of maturing there. There's a lack of being grounded in the work of the Lord. There's a lack of spiritual maturity. You're still living like an infant. See, that's the way I was early on in my faith. I was easily dissuaded by so many different things. And, and, and as a new believer in Jesus, that's actually a good thing because you want to study. You want to look at all the different options. You want to figure out why are Christians having different viewpoints on different doctrinal statements and different theological positions. Like it's a good thing to wrestle with those things. But at some point, you got to stop. I had to stop the this, 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 that, this, that. I was exhausting to my pastor back in Montreal. I praise God for his grace and for his mercy when he was discipling me and helping me out early on in my faith. I was all over the map on the things I believed and all over the map on what I thought churches should do. But then eventually this starts to take root. It starts to become consistent. You know, there are some things that I believe that the Bible teaches today that I didn't believe 20 years ago. There are some things that I believed 20 years ago that I no longer believe. So it's okay to be on that journey. But is it done in such a way that you're not tossed back and forth by every YouTube video, by every social media post, by every single thing that we read on the internet, just 
tossed all over the place. You'll lack power in your faith. So an incredibly important healthy habit to develop is consistency. Consistency. Can lean in, dig deeper in that consistent faith. So that's what Paul, he talks about that. He talks about a faith that is consistent has power. We see that in Ephesians 4. Now let's talk about a faith that's persistent. What does persistence do? Well, persistence, I encourage you to write this down, a faith that is consistent keeps us strong and stops us from giving up or giving in to all the distractions of life. A faith that is persistent keeps us strong and stops us from giving up or giving in to all the distractions of life. See, a faith that is persistent has power. Because you're not easily taken out by the distractions of life. All the horrible things that are going on in our world today. And there are atrocities, horrible, horrible things going on. We learn each and every day of horrible things that are going on even in our own country. And it's heartbreaking. But these horrible, sinful things shouldn't derail our faith. They should actually cause us to lean into it even more, to seek the power of God. Like, I love this example here that Jesus gives in um, the parable of the persistent widow in Luke chapter 18. Here it's Jesus is telling a parable, telling a story to his disciples. And it actually flat out says the reason why Jesus tells this story. I love when the Bible does that. When the Bible flat out says, this is why Jesus did that. So we don't have to interpret it. We don't have to argue it. We don't have to debate it. (laughs) It's because it says right here why Jesus said this. And this is what it says in verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. This is the purpose of the parable of the persistent widow. So that you, follower of Jesus, will be persistent that you will not give up. Don't interpret it any other way than the way the Bible just told you to interpret it. (laughs) It doesn't mean anything else but this, right? So Jesus tells the parable in verse 2. He says, he said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. And for some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice and that she won't eventually come and attack me. And then the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Paul uses, sorry, Jesus uses this parable of the persistent widow to show us the need to be persistent in our faith, to never give up, not to give up, and not to give in to all the distractions of life. Right? This widow is persistent to the judge. She doesn't waver. She doesn't give up. 
One of the things, and here's a little side note of something that we don't see in the text, right? What we don't see is the widow being pushy or nasty or rude or obnoxious or demeaning or being a jerk. (laughs) All she is doing is persistently bringing her plea. And a plea is like, it's a posture of crying out. It's a posture of, of putting yourself humbly before the person who can do something about it. Please judge, do something about my adversary, about my adversary. A posture of humility, a posture of pleading, not a posture of you better do what I say and how dare you or that jerk or that idiot or that moron or all of these other things. We don't see any of that in this text, (laughs) right? It's a plea, a heart crying out humbly before the judge, right? So how do we, we need to come to God persistently like this on everything that we're, that's going on in the world. We come persistently in prayer. We never give up praying. We never give up praying. We never stop praying for the things that we want to see God do in our lives, in the lives of our loved one, in our nation and around the world. You know, honestly, um, this is actually this persistent faith is actually something I struggle with. Um, I tend to get really, really excited about something for a while and, and then it wanes over time and I lose that persistent zeal, particularly when I don't see God answering my prayers as quickly as I would like. <laughs> If I don't see God answering the prayers for that family member that I'm praying for immediately, I will begin to wane and pray less and less and less and less. And then is it any wonder why I don't see any transformation? Is it any wonder why I don't see any power? Do you relate to that? Like that's what this reminder is here is to never give up praying for that family member who doesn't know Jesus to never give up of praying to see reconciliation happen among the body of Christ to never give up praying to see people set freed from their sin to never give up to see racial reconciliation uh, reconciliation with different people groups around the world to to see people set free from bondage of sin to see people set freed from oppression to see people set free from evil in the world never give up praying for those things even if it takes 50 years for that prayer to come true, we never give up because a faith that is persistent and consistent has power. A faith that is persistent and consistent has power. So how can we become more consistent and more persistent in our faith? I want to conclude with a story from the Old Testament here. 
And it's a very famous story. It's a story that most people learn about in Sunday school. Uh, we cut out the ending of it in Sunday school for kids because it does turn into war and it does turn into a massacre, <laughs> which is not always friendly stories to teach children. But what it does show is it shows a faith that is consistent and persistent. And it's the story of the fall of Jericho. You see, Jericho was a city in the land that God promised to the people of Israel. And it's the first city that the people of Israel attack when they come into the promised land after spending 40 years in the wilderness. You see, the people of Israel were set freed from slavery from the land of Egypt, where they were under slavery for generations, hundreds of years. Moses came, set the people free, they, and then because of their disobedience and their lack of trust in God, they had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And then Moses dies, and a new leader rises up, a leader named Joshua. And Joshua is now bringing the people of Israel into the promised land, and they come across the city of Jericho which has a huge wall around it. So there is no way for them to attack and take over the city because of this huge wall that's protecting it. And so we can read about this wall, this fall of Jericho here in Joshua uh, chapter 6. And I'm going to start reading in verse 1. And it says, Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. And then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once for all the armed men, with all the armed men, sorry. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times, with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them, Sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout, and then the wall of the city will collapse, and the army will go up, everyone straight in. Now, for those of you that are part of our Canadian military or have any military experience, <laughs> this sounds like a horrible plan. <laughs> this does not sound like the way we take a fortress. I have never seen this done in any of my favorite war movies. <laughs> to just walk around the city once a day. Now, it's a big city, so it would take a while to walk around it. And on the seventh day, walk around it seven times. And not only is it going to be the army, the fighting men that are going to do this, you're going to take the priest, the men who have no fighting experience, who have no weapons, who have no shields, and you're going to put them in front. <laughs> And they're going to walk around with the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant is a representation of the presence of God on earth. So you're going to walk around this wall with the presence of God. But that is a faith that is persistent and consistent. See, two things that we see from this story here. Let me Actually, let me just finish off the story here. I'm going to summarize it a little bit. Let's just jump down to, to verse 15. Right, it skips over to the, to the seventh day. So they did this for six days, walking around. Then on the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and they marched around the city seven times in the same manner, 
except on that day they circled the city seven times. So they did what God told them to do. And then jump down to verse 20, where it says, So now the trumpets sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. (laughs) Happened just as God said it would happen, because their faith was consistent and persistent. So how does this story give us an example of developing a faith that's persistent and consistent? Two things. I encourage you to write these down to help you make these a healthy habit in your spiritual life. The first is to grow in acts of obedience. You and I need to learn to grow in acts of obedience. Again, no military strategy (laughs) would ever tell people to do this. But God told them to do it. And they stepped out in an act of obedience. I mean, I was even trying to picture this, especially the priests, the religious leaders who have no weapons, who have no way to defend themselves. It would have been incredibly easy for the army of Jericho to just lean over the wall with a bow and arrow and go, bing! and just take out all the priests. And then no one else could touch the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant would just lie there, and they'd win. But because of their act of obedience, they had a, they're demonstrating a faith that's consistent and persistent. Right? God might not call you to march around the wall of a city. But what small thing has God called you to do? And what small thing has God called you to do and you've not done it? See, that's an act of obedience. See, you and I will not grow spiritually when God prompts us to do things, when God prompts us to trust him in faith And instead, we give in to fear. We give in to the pressures of this world. We give in to other things apart from what God has asked us to do. And so often, I think what happens is, is we go, well, I'm not too sure if I should do that, if I should be obedient to that. I need to pray about it and ask God. I've actually come to the point when it comes to my life and my spiritual journey, there's a whole lot of things that I don't need to pray about. (laughs) to know I should be doing it. I know because the Bible has taught me this already, so I don't need to ask God, should I do it? Because the Bible tells me I should do it as a follower of Jesus. I don't need to ask God, should I love God with my entire being, with my entire heart, soul, mind, and strength, every aspect of my life, should I love God that way? I don't need to ask him that. The Bible tells me to do it. I don't need to ask God, should I love my neighbor as myself? (laughs) Because the Bible tells me to do that. I don't have to ask God, should I love on people who do not believe like me and do not look like me and do not, you know, think like me? I don't need to ask God that because the Bible tells me to love the alien, to love the stranger, to love the foreigner, to love the outsider. I just do it. I don't need to ask God about serving or giving or caring for people because the Bible tells me to do that already. Right? We need to learn to be a little bit more obedient. So maybe for you, just like it has been in my own life, to grow in consistency and persistence is to step out more in obedience. 
And the other thing that I think is so important for us as an example from this story in Joshua chapter 6 to help us grow in consistency and persistence is we need to constantly remind ourselves that it is God's power at work and not ours. It is God's power at work and not ours. You see, the Israelites did not take over the promised land because they were the best army. They did not take over the city of Jericho because they had the best strategic plan and they had the five-year plan or they had the best staff or they had the best doctrine. None of that. The people of Israel were successful because of God's power and God's will being done. In fact, there's a great reminder in the Old Testament of just really where the people of Israel were at at that time. We read about this in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verses uh, six, uh, 4 to 6, where it says, Understand then that it's not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to, to possess. For you are a stiff-necked people. <laughs> so in the promise of receiving the promised land, God reminds them, you're not getting this land. You're not getting this promise because of how amazing you are. You're getting this promise in spite of who you are. <laughs> and that is the incredible good news of the gospel of Jesus. That you and I receive Jesus in spite of ourselves. It's not because of how great we are. It's not because of how awesome and religious and humble and theologically sound and all of these things are. We receive the love of God in spite of who we are. Because all of us, myself included, are a stiff-necked people. We have a hard time obeying. We have a hard time trusting in the power of God. See, that's why we commit ourselves fully to the work of the Lord. We commit ourselves fully to the gospel, where it is only the gospel, the good news of Jesus that has the power to save people from their sin. You see, over 20 years ago, when I was reading a Bible on my commute to work in Montreal, I wasn't reading this because I was this great religious person. I was reading this as someone who had heard about the saving faith of Jesus and didn't believe it. So I had to see it for myself and I had to debunk it for myself. And it was through that reading of God's word where I realized Kevin Presso is a sinner. Kevin Presso is separated from a loving God. And it's not religion that's going to save me. It's not being a good boy that's going to save me. It's not keeping all the commands and the rules, listening to my mom and dad. All of these things are going to save me from my sin. It's only Jesus that saves me from my sin. And on that train ride in Montreal, I prayed real simply, God, forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. Make me new. And then God, send me anywhere, any place, at any time, so that your will would be done. If you today don't know God as your Heavenly Father, 
If you've been trying to please God through religion, through tradition, through being a good girl or a good boy, I want you to know that you are laboring in vain, as Paul calls it. Because you have access to a loving father simply by praying exactly like I prayed 20 plus years ago. Just by saying a simple prayer, Father, forgive me, a sinner. I believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead to save me from my sin. Come into my life, make me new, and then God, use me for the work of the Lord, for your glory and my joy. If you pray like that today, whether it's at church online or in person in our watch parties, if you're online, a pop-up shows up in the chat. I would love if you would click that pop-up and it'll bring up another little form where please just send me your name and your email address because I would just love to celebrate and pray for you and send some free resources to you no matter where you are anywhere in the world. And if you prayed that prayer in our watch party and you're embarrassed, you don't want to raise your hand in front of everyone where everyone can see it, but you've prayed that way today, come talk to me after the service. I would love to rejoice with you, pray for you, and get some free resources to you as well to get you on a firm foundation as you begin this new journey with Jesus. See, all of us need those healthy habits to develop a faith that is persistent and consistent because it is only a faith that is persistent and consistent that has power. And I want each and every one of us who are part of the Greenbelt family to feel and experience and see more of God's power in our lives. So let's pray. Father God, I praise you and thank you for the reminder from the word of God and how it speaks and guides us to a faith that is persistent and consistent. Father, forgive me personally when my faith has not been those two things, where I've been blown back and forth by different things on the internet, by different things I hear, by different struggles. Father, help me to dig deeper roots into who you are and how you want to work in my life. Father, help each and every one of us to stand firm to stay strong, to let nothing move us, to give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord as individuals and as a church family. Because we know, Father, that that is the only thing that's going to last. Help each and every one of us, Lord, who call Greenbelt Church their home church, whether they're brand new here or whether they've been coming here for 50 years, help all of us grow in a faith that is consistent and persistent so that each of us will see more power in our lives, that we'll see people that we love come to know Jesus, that we'll see our own lives get victory over sin that we've been struggling with for years, that we'll see a difference made in our world, not because of how great we are, but because of how great and loving you are. So show that power to us even this week, Lord, as we step out in a faith that is persistent and consistent so that we could experience your power. Help us to be consistent so that we don't get distracted on what the Christian life is all about. Help us to be persistent to keep us strong and to stop us from giving up or giving in to all the distractions of life. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.